Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasts. Sometimes the scariest people are the ones that live in your home. Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm here with Todd Bukowski, resiliency coach and also a son of a serial killer. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me on, and uh, it's Boskowski. I saw you. uh... (laughs) So it's Boskowski. It's okay. Everybody butchers it, so I'm pretty pretty, uh, used to it by now. I even did the Google Translate. Did you? (laughs) You're the first person that actually probably even admitted to to using Google Translate. (laughs) I did it because I'm like, I'm going to nail this. (laughs) How did you become a resiliency coach? What brought all this upon? I mean, obviously the background. Well, um, I became a resiliency coach mainly because of all the different types of traumas that, you know, I've been exposed to um, throughout my life. And obviously, um, the the biggest one is regarding my childhood and my father uh, killing my mother and my stepmother. So that has left a lasting impression, obviously, throughout life. And, you know, it's it's so true of the moniker that time heals all wounds. And like some for, for some traumas, you know, it takes a lifetime and that has been so much the case for me where I am now, you know, almost 40 years old now. And I'm just now getting to the point where, you know, I have gotten to a very good place, a very healthy uh, place um, in all aspects of my life. But that's, that has come at, come at a price of doing a lot of inner work, a lot of work on myself. I'm, I'm also, fortunate enough that, you know, I have a lot of time to work on myself. I'm, you know, not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a lot of other obligations that, you know, so many other people uh, have. So it's, it's really a testament to, you know, me working on myself and doing the things that I need to, to, to do that. Absolutely. I think everyone needs to put themselves first, especially when you've had a very traumatic experience because you do you need to heal within before you can ever give out yeah and I mean it it came to a point for me where you know I came to this realization that if I don't actually figure that figure things out for myself I may not be around you know at 50 years old at 55 and I'm very well aware of the statistics of not only people that come from a very traumatic background, but also uh, children that come from a uh, traumatic, a very traumatic upbringing and background. And there, there's a lot of things that can be connected um, to, to trauma. And so um, I, I started to see that, to experience that myself. And, um, you know, it came to a point where, you know, if I don't 
get a handle on that for nobody else except for me. I may be, you know, staring down the barrel of a shortened life. And unfortunately, that does happen more often than than not. Especially because you were in the military as well, too, right? Yes. Um, so at 18, I joined the military and I actually go back and forth. Um, you know, it was a very good um, decision, a very smart decision on my part at that time. I, I think that, you know, it kept me out of trouble. It kept me out of, you know, the the typical um, troubles uh, that, you know, one can find themselves in. It kept me on a straight and narrow path, but also at the same time, it also brought me into, you know, more trauma and it brought my childhood trauma to the surface. And so by the time I got out of the military, I was like 28, 29 years old. And basically the majority of my life has been nothing but filled with trauma. And so now here I am at basically 30 years old, trying to restart my life, trying to figure out that piece out of it, you know, is a lot in itself. And then on top of that, you still have to deal with all these different traumas and, and, and you still have to work through all of those things. So, you know, for, for me, it was quite a lot. And going through a lot of my work, I actually started to um, recognize part of the reason as to why the military was even attractive to me in the very first place. I think a lot of people that come from trauma um, they're, they're used to the, the trauma, the, the stress, the, the chaos that actually repeats. It's kind of like an addiction cycle itself. So there actually is a thing called stress addiction. And so, you know, you get used to that stress and that chaos and it's almost like it's normal. I, I do believe that that was in part why the military was attractive to me was that aspect of it. And then on the other end of it was, I guess you could say growing up, I had, I had such a yearn for feeling normal, being normal. And um, the military was a way for me to actually achieve that. Um, because when you go into the military, Everybody starts as one. It doesn't matter, you know, what your background is, you know, where you grew up, uh, sex, uh, age, gender, heck, even, you know, for, for a period of time, um, your sexual orientation, none of that matters. Everybody's starting from square one. And so it was nice for me to experience that because for me, I felt like the majority of my life, I felt like a huge fish out of water so to speak. I think a lot of people can identify with that. And it's kind of nice to go somewhere where maybe people didn't understand or they didn't know your story. They didn't know your background. So it might've been refreshing to you, kind of like a clean slate. Yeah, it was, so it was. Um, and, you know, I kind of controlled uh, what I could at that point in time. And I wasn't so aware of it from from another perspective, if that makes sense. And maybe I'm saying that the wrong way. But I think because I grew up here um, in, in Pittsburgh and, you know, my, my stepmother's death was here. There was, you know, media here. I was always kind of self-conscious uh, a little bit about who 
knew of my story, who knew what, and what did they know, what did they think about me, and all of that. Well, they shouldn't have thought anything wrong about you, because you clearly did not do anything wrong. I know. <laughs> and, that, and that right there, that, that took, you know, um, many years of, of me figuring out and working through and all of that stuff as well. Are you looking for your next true crime podcast? Do you crave stories that have mystery and suspense? Well, look no further. Introducing Love and Murder, the podcast that dives deep into the world of relationships gone horribly wrong. Every week, I take you on a journey through the dark side of love, where passion turns into obsession, family becomes enemies, and romance turns to murder. So why should you listen to Love and Murder? Because this is not just another true crime podcast where your partners in crime, your storytellers, and your weekly dose of suspenseful entertainment. So what are you waiting for? Join the Lamb community, www.murderandlove.com. That's love and murder backwards, murderandlove.com. See you soon. How old were you when your mom was taken? I was five. I was five nearly six. So my mother and my stepmother's death were pretty close to each other. November 4th, 1990 and November 7th, 1994. And November 14th is my birthday. And so, and then, you know, you add in uh, Veterans Day is the 11th. So literally... You know, the first half of November can be such an emotional roller coaster for me. And so, but yeah, I was five, uh, nearly six. And then my stepmother, I was nine, nearly 10. What was his fascination with November? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I wish I knew. Um, there, there were so many times growing up and even as I got older, like, if it wasn't for Thanksgiving, I probably would have elected to wipe November off the calendar because, I mean, it's just another reminder of what I had gone through. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was, it, it's, it's definitely I. Um, and, and that was something that, you know, I had even kind of blamed my father for was, you know, why did you have to do this? so close to, you know, my birthday on both occasions, you know, I mean, it's just such a, such an odd and bizarre, I guess, situation to be in. Absolutely. I can totally understand that. Like there's 12 months out of the year, you got to pick right in between me both times. But, you know, I mean, that just goes to show that he was obviously had a narcissistic personality and he wasn't thinking about anybody else but himself. No, and I totally agree. For a long period of time, I just thought that my father was, you know, this person that I never really saw. And I guess that's probably what is so surprising for people to hear is that there was absolutely zero uh, violence whatsoever in our house growing up. Now in my, you know, upcoming memoir, I do talk about, you know, um, possible abuse and, and things of that nature, but I'll save that for, for people to, to read. But, but from the outside looking in, it's that, you know, you never would have guessed that this could have happened 
And I've even mentioned uh, a number of times, and I know how bad this is going to, I guess, come across in some ways, but it actually would have been much better for me mentally if I would have seen my father beating the crap out of my mother, because it would have made sense. Like I would have, I would have been able to connect the dots, especially as I have gotten older. Um, I would have been able to say, okay, that's not right. Oh, that could explain what happened. Whereas at the time of my father's arrest, we were a church going family. We went to church every single Sunday. Both my mother and stepmother were heavily involved in the church. We were a family that the the TV show The Simpsons was actually barred from our from our house. Um, we were not allowed to watch The Simpsons because we uh, me and my siblings acted out a scene from The Simpsons and pretty much embarrassed our parents. And so, you know, they're like, okay, that's, you're not allowed to watch that anymore. So, you know, looking back, it's kind of like, wait a minute, I'm not allowed to say bad words. I can't even watch The Simpsons. But yet somebody thinks that my father killed somebody and that person is my mother. Like, it's literally like, what planet am I on? Um, It's like, how, how, how do you... That image, those images could not be further from what I was ex- experiencing at the time, you know? Oh, absolutely. So just to kind of paint a picture. So back November 4th, 1990, your mother was found dead in a bathtub. Yes. Then November 7th, 1994, your stepmother was found dead in a hot tub. Yeah. So did you just think he had like the worst luck? Honestly, I, I, I didn't perceive it that way. It was almost like this, how can this be happening again? Like I didn't view it as he had the worst luck. It was like, how is this happening? And so, and I guess to kind of backtrack a little bit, like at five years old, after my mother's death, at five years old, I couldn't even really comprehend death. So I had to be told point blank that my mother is not coming back, that she is in heaven. Like that's how like basic people had to get with me uh, for me to actually understand it. And then um, when my father eventually met my stepmother and he started bringing her around. And of course, if you look up and you would see both pictures they have very striking similarities in terms of looks. And so for some people, like that like freak, would freak people out or, you know, it was creepy and whatnot. Um, but for me, it was actually very comforting because I was told that my mother wasn't coming back. And here I was standing in front of a woman who literally looked almost identical to her and and in many ways had a lot of similarities in how she lived her life as well. So, you know, for me, it was very comforting. I could totally get that. It's kind of like your security. Like, like, you know, a a missing piece of you, it was gone. And here's another uh, perhaps 
a slanted example is, is, you know, everybody's been broken up with in their life and you, you, you lose the, the love of your life. And then in walks in this other person that looks similar um, to, to, you know, the, the person that, that you love, but that's over with. And you're like, Hey, I got another shot. Uh, right. So I, I guess in a roundabout way, like that could be a very similar experience as to what I was feeling at the time. Um, although very slanted, but that, that could be how some, someone could um, relate to how I was feeling at that time. Well, you're also so young. Were you the youngest yes. of your siblings? Yes, I am the youngest. Now, have they accepted what has happened as well? Because I do believe I read that you guys were split for a really long time. I wouldn't know if we were split, but um, I, I will say that, you know, I have a very clear and open relationship with my siblings and, you know, we're still very close, um, as close as we can be for all three of us living in three different cities. And so we do talk, uh, we do converse, but at the same token, if they want to share, you know, their journey or if they have a relationship with, you know, uh, my father, um, that's up to them. But given everything that, you know, I have said, uh, and I have, you know, come across and what I have done, you know, wouldn't be out of the realm of the possibility for, for them to feel the same way. And, you know, it also wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for my siblings to still have a relationship with my father. For me, over the years, I have learned that, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily my place to share kind of like what, where, where they are with things, you know what I mean? Oh, completely. I completely understand that. So you do not have any contact I do with not. your father? Um, the, the last time that I had a conversation with him, I conversed with him one last time and actually sent him a letter. And it was, and it was a very lengthy letter. And um, I, I talk about this, you know, again in, in my book, but it was, I was at a point where I, I really needed to kind of just let some things go. I, I would say half of the letter is very like anger driven. And then the second half of the letter, it's very more like I wanted to let go of that anger. And so I actually did something that I never thought that I would do. And I forgave him. I forgave him for literally everything. And, um, you know, and I think that that was another turning point, another thing that I needed to do for my own personal healing journey was forgiveness. And I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to forgiveness. And, you know, I, I also didn't say that, you know, what he did was okay. And I also was very firm in what I wanted from him. Like, just because I'm forgiving him doesn't mean I I want a relationship with him doesn't mean that, you know, I want anything from him really. So, um, you know, I, I left it at that and I looked at and I viewed that letter as the last piece of correspondence that I would have with him uh, for the rest of my life. And that's kind of how I viewed it. You know, if I could have one last conversation, what would that be? What would that be like? What would that look like? And so that was kind of like the, 
the, the foundations of how I began that last letter and that last correspondence. He never um, responded? Or did you put in the okay, letter, like, I, I don't want a response? I sent the letter, I, I gave, I sent the letter and I provided a fake return address. So, you know, he like, he couldn't send it back to me. But through the grapevine, I do believe he got it. And, you know, and so he has respected my wishes in terms of, you know, not contacting me. Um, and so, so that, that's that. Well, I think that's amazing that you're able to do that because I'm like the same way. I need to write things. If I can write a letter and express everything, I just feel better. I feel I got everything out. You can't be interrupted. And it's, it's all out there, black and white. And so I think that's a powerful tool and it's, that it's, people don't it's realize. It's so interesting because, you know, as I move down, you know, the, the rabbit hole of, you know, uh, personal development and, and healing, um, there's actually an, an exercise, a healing exercise that is very, very similar to what I did of writing a letter. And um, it's basically called the, the letter burning exercise. and you know, you uh, write out a letter to, you know, somebody that, you know, perhaps they wronged you or you have some kind of negative emotion um, still with this person or associated with this person. And, you know, and you write down, you know, your your emotions and what you feel. Um, you also write down, you know, the, the lessons that you have learned or gained from that person. And then at the very end, um, instead of sending the letter like I did, you actually burn the letter. And that burning of the letter represents that you're burning those negative emotions away. Yes, I love burning shit. <laughs> it's therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> But Tiffany's a pyro, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so lo how long have you been a coach for now? Um, I'd say a little bit over a year. Okay, very nice. I know you have a program outlined and everything. It's very exciting. Why don't you tell us about it? So actually I have a, you know, few different programs. So, you know, my one program is called the, uh, the nervous system bootcamp. And so basically, uh, it outlines how an individual can regulate their, their nervous system. And one of the things that I learned, um, and it was just so profound for me was learning how our nervous system, um, affects our everyday way of life. And this isn't just for people with, um, you know, trauma or unresolved trauma or come from a background with trauma. And, you know, and I have a, a, a new meaning of, of the word trauma, but, you know, the, the nervous system affects you in everyday way of life. And so the nervous system can be put into stress mode. And so in that stress mode, is actually how the moniker PTSD, post-traumatic stress, it actually gets developed 
post-traumatic stress develops because uh, someone's body is continuously in stress mode. It's very important to learn how to get out of stress mode. You know, there's all different types of tools and techniques and, you know, different things that you can do that help you get out of stress mode. That's basically what, you know, the, the nervous system bootcamp does. Kind of gives you um, a, a good roundabout explanation of why, why or how the nervous system works, first of all. And then, of course, you know, tips and tricks and, and things like that. Well, yeah, if your body is constantly in like well, fight or flight mode, it doesn't have the chance to right. just relax. And I mean, you know, can consider this. I mean... Um, we have these uh, words that uh, are so popular in, in pop culture now, like, you know, triggered and, you know, being a Karen, right? <laughs> you know? but, but in theory, <laughs> when, when you kind of think about it, when somebody is being a Karen, they're actually being triggered in some way. And being triggered goes back to, you know, Something happened in their life that created this negative emotion. And so, and that negative emotion is tied to stress. Very interesting. Look at you teaching me shit. <laughs> <laughs> what are your other programs? Other um, high-level coaching programs where, you know, I literally take people through like clearing out, you know, like childhood wounds, um, things like that. You know, also some, um, if you're familiar with neuro-linguistic programming, so basically like how to reprogram um, the, the mind, the unconscious mind, you know, and, and I've used techniques for me to, you know, um, for instance, like stop eating certain foods, you know, my go-to comfort food was like pizza. And, you know, pizza is literally probably, you know, a very horrible comfort food. But for me, like I was addicted to it almost. And so I haven't had pizza in, I don't know, like nine, 10 months, something like that. Not even a slice. I haven't thought about it. I haven't craved it. Um, it literally makes me want to puke now, you know, and that's because I performed a uh, self-hypnosis uh, technique on myself where I actually made that change. So, and that's how powerful some of these, these are, you know, if you could get rid of your number one, you know, comfort food, what would that do for you, you know, in your life? What would that do for your fitness and diet goals and things like that? Right. Can I make myself want to eat vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, how the technique works is, you know, you you take a food that you like and you basically make it, you know, disgusting. So, Gotcha. So you can't make something disgusting good. <laughs> sort of, yeah, in a roundabout way. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> You also have a book, My Two Angels, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. Yes. Is that the book that you're talking about so that's coming that's, out? Um, should be coming out March, April-ish um, of 2024. And uh, so that's that's almost four years in the making. So, And um, really excited about that. 
I did a really great job of going back and, you know, it has been uh, therapeutic uh, for me. You know, I, I got through um, a lot of writing during uh, like the whole COVID and, you know, I actually got, I would say like 75% of my first draft done and I didn't like it. So um, I actually went out and hired somebody to actually help me. I basically had to reteach myself like how to write. And so, you know, it's, it's one thing to write for like term papers and, you know, school uh, and college and things like that, but they don't teach you how to write like this. Like, you know, how I wanted my book was I wanted to be able to take somebody on an emotional journey. Like I want people to feel and experience some of the things that I was experiencing. And so for me, I had to learn how to write like that. And so that, that took time and it took, took practice too. So, um, but uh, no, I'm very, very happy with it so far. And, you know, it is in the, uh, the publishing phase and, you know, actually coming up in a few weeks, I'm going to be, um, you know, giving an interview that's going to be used in like the, uh, in the, in the launch phase of it. So really excited about it and uh, can't wait for people to, uh, to read it. So the, uh, the reviews that I have gotten from people that have read the manuscript was, you know, like, holy crap, like, you know, it's definitely like a page turner, um, which is interesting because I've gotten very good at leaving people on like a cliffhanger on uh, at the end of chapters. So it kind of forces you to continue reading. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine um, who, who read the manuscript and she was like, Todd, like I'm, I'm not even really a book reader, but my husband's actually upset with me because we, I, I've been putting off watching our shows because I will keep, I, I want to keep reading your book. And I'm just like, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> No, oh, that's great. It's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm pretty excited for it. You should be. That's a huge accomplishment. And I've had a lot of guests that say how therapeutic it is to actually get it all on paper and tell your story. It is. Um, and I think that, you know, another aspect of healing and, and something that I've also worked on is you know, letting go of, you know, what other people think and, um, and, you know, the judgments from, from other people. And, you know, we can be our own worst critics and our own worst enemies. And, you know, and I think that, you know, when you write, um, a book like this, a memoir, and you're sharing some, some very, uh, intimate, some very, um, traumatic things in, in one's life, because there are things in here that quite frankly, I've never told outside of maybe like five people. And so, you know, nobody knows that. And, um, you know, to be able to share that with the world and when you kind of sit back and think about it, you, it's so like freeing. It's, it's, it's so, um, what's the word liberating. There we go. Um, what can't I do if I can share this aspect of my life with the world and I don't feel any shame over it? Um, I don't care what people think. Imagine what else you can do, you know? Anything you put your mind to. 
Exactly. That's what they say. When you're vulnerable and you put it all out there, it's just like, ah, oh, <laughs> like it's done. Nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Good. That means it definitely served its purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I do hope that, you know, people take some things out of it, some things that, you know, they can use for themselves and they can relish in, you know, me, you know, overcoming a lot and what I had to do to, you know, to get to where I am now. Right. And you're not done. This is a lifelong journey. Yeah. Yeah. And it may not even be my, my one and only book either. So even my, even my own uh, writing coach is like, you definitely have like two to two or three books inside you. <laughs> like we actually had to take things out, you know, because I had, I'd done so much. They're like, yeah, that's actually a very good thing. Typically most writers have to, I guess, write more. But for me, like we actually had to take stuff out because it was getting, it was getting too long. So that's when you just make another chapter. <laughs> well, I, I am having, um, I may or may not be having a bonus chapter. Ooh. Breaking Heard it first here. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm going to buy it. I want to read it. I want to read it. So I'm excited. How do people get a hold of you if they want to hire you as a coach? I always think hire is like the wrong word, but it's pretty much hiring you as a coach. (laughs) If anyone is interested in the uh, letter burning um, exercise, um, maybe that's another, you know, way to, you know, kind of, Get insight in terms of like what I do. Um, you know, I can provide you with a link, um, and you know, they can go and and pick that up. It's a you know, there, there's no upsells, no nothing. You know, salesy. It's literally like, hey, you put in your email address and contact details, and you know, you get the uh, you get the guide, you get the uh, the exercise. So, of course, you know, I'm on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And things like that. So awesome. Hey, nothing easier than clicking on a link. We do it all day, anyways, right? Oh, yes. I commend you for where you are today. This was not an easy journey for you, and you're doing fantastic from what I see. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do, I do take pride um, in where I'm at. So um, that's probably one of the one of the most popular comments that I do get is just how really aware and, and really in tune I am as a person. And, and this is another aspect of my journey too, being a man, you know, and, and being vulnerable. And that's another aspect of, I think, sharing my story is being a man and being vulnerable and, um, and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I always get comments in terms of, Like, um, you know, so many people say, man, like you really have put in so much inner work. And I'm just like, yep, I know. Thank you. (laughs) Yep. I loved it. (laughs) 
Yeah, but I mean, think about it. Your life could have taken such a different turn. Yeah, I agree. There's even other ways that it could have gone um, in very in various directions that people aren't aware of. There was a legitimate chance that there, there was a real threat that I wouldn't have grown up with my siblings. So um, I explained that in the book too, like how that came about and what happened with that. But, you know, we were nearly um, split apart. And so, and I can tell you firsthand that had I not grown up with my siblings, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I probably would have taken my life years ago. And so, you know, that, that right there alone probably did a lot of, you know, saving. Right. I mean, you need comfort. You need other people who understand what you've been through. You know, they understand. They they were on the journey with you. So it's very important. Yeah, I agree. Do you have anything else? Give you the floor. <laughs> <laughs> no. Cool. Well, I'll make sure I put the links in the bottom of the show notes. I'm so happy that you came on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. Make sure to share this episode with somebody that you think could benefit from it. Links are at the bottom of the show notes, along with my links. You're going to want to make sure that you're following me on some kind of social media because I got quite a few big changes coming. So you're going to want to be looking for that. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.